Thank you, Ensemble and instrumentalists for our beautiful worship today. There in your home, if you take your Bible and turn to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 45, in just a moment we'll look at verse 4 in particular. Today will be the first time in 35 years that I've been able to say Happy Mother's Day to my mother in person. So, Mom, if you're watching this broadcast this morning live, I'll see you in a little bit. And the first time in 35 years, we'll be together on this day. He was a 17-year-old smart aleck. You can see him now strutting back and forth, chin lifted high, shoulders square, mouth always loaded with braggadocious boasting. His daddy played favorites. He loved this 17-year-old bragging brat more than he loved any of his other sons, and he had 12 of them. This lad was spoiled rotten. You could smell him coming as much as a caravan of camels coming your way. Can you imagine the jealousy? A father with 12 boys, he shops for 10 or 11 of them at the Dollar General store, generic tennis shoes, you know, the goofy sort with the big rubber toes and no-name jeans and shirts that come from the Blue, Blue Light special. But his favorite son gets to go to a Foot Locker and pick out a very expensive pair of tennis shoes. And then he takes him to Neiman Marcus to get Tom Ford jeans and a polo shirt. The other brothers look down at their own clothes and they look over at, at Joseph and his coat of many colors. And they say, hey, Dad, what's going on here? And Joseph, the brat, brushes him away and says, easy on my threads, guys, easy on the threads. Jacob was not very fair. He was not a very good father, really. But he had been raised by Isaac and Rebekah, and they played favorites too, right? That's all Jacob knew. What was he thinking? Giving Joseph that colorful coat was enough to bring out the worst of envy and hatred from the other brothers and the way Joseph wore that coat, he was kind of prancing around like a peacock at the San Diego Zoo. He wanted to make sure his brothers saw that his coat was colorful. Hey, Judah. Hey, Reuben. Hey, Simeon. All of you come here. His mouth was as bad as his coat. Can you help me figure out what this means? We were all working in the field and binding sheaves, and lo and behold, all of a sudden, my sheaf stood tall, and yours bowed down to mine. What could that mean? Oh, really? We're going to bow down to you, Joseph? Is that what you think? Well, he didn't know when to quit. I had another dream. The sun and the moon and 11 stars, they all bowed down to me. Even Dad Jacob was offended now. Oh, really, son? I'm going to, your mother's going to, your brothers were all going to bow down to you? Well, even Father was furious with that braggadocious dream. Jacob sent Joe's brothers to shepherd the flock at Shechem. Well, Jacob would always hold Joseph back, and then he would send Joseph to check on the brothers and see how they were doing. He was daddy's little tattletale about how the brothers were keeping the flock. 
And even at a great distance when they see Joseph coming over the horizon, prancing like a peacock in that colorful coat, well, his brothers know exactly who's coming and why he's coming to tell on them. Here comes a little dreamer, one of them said. Let's kill him and tell Dad a beast devoured him, another joined in. Then we'll see what becomes of his dream, said a third brother. They ripped off his coat. They threw him in a dry well. And as they ate, they enjoyed Joseph's persistent pleas more than his previous boasting. Judah suggested that instead of killing Joseph, they ought to sell him off and make a little money. Here come the Ishmaelites. They're selling their bomb and their myrrh in Egypt. So they take his coat and they sop it in the blood of a goat. They take it back to the father, having sold their brother into slavery. Father, we, we found this coat. It's not your son's, is it? Notice they don't call him our brothers. He was daddy's son to them. It's not your son's, is it? The bright color was dulled at last by the deep, dark blood of the goat. They asked as if they didn't know the answer. They knew it, and Jacob thought he knew it too. It is Joseph. A wild beast has devoured my boy to pieces. I will go to my death mourning for my son. Meanwhile, back in Egypt, the Midianites had sold Joseph to the house of Pharaoh's officers by the name of Potiphar. Joseph always seemed blessed by God. He began to excel in Egypt, so much so that Potiphar placed Joseph in charge of everything in his household. He was in charge of everything, and whatever he touched became profitable for Potiphar. But Potiphar's wife had her eye on young, handsome Joseph. She began to wonder, could I still attract a man like that? Besides, Potiphar hardly noticed her anymore. Joseph, I'm available. I can't. Joseph, I'm over here. It would be terrible. Your husband has placed me in charge of everything, everything in his house. Joseph, he runs, she grabs, he flees, she screams, and he goes to the pit again. This time it's not a dry well, but this time it's a prison in Egypt, and he truly is an innocent man. How do we get from Joseph, a bragging brat to being the gracious governor of Egypt. Well, that's how we get there. God allows Joseph to lose his coat twice. God allows Joseph, the braggadocious boy, to lose his coat and be cast into the pit and sold into slavery. And now a second time, he loses his coat as he flees naked from Potiphar's wife. Twice he's stripped of his clothing, and twice he goes to the pit, one a dry well and the other a prison. But somehow, God sees through the prancing peacock to see Joseph as a gracious governor. Sometimes... 
during the hard times. Sometimes it's days like these with the coronavirus. Days when we're living in the shadows and we find ourselves in the pit, confined. Sometimes that becomes God's molding hand, his shaping force on our life are the pit times, the hard times. And I wonder, as Joseph is there in prison, does he still remember the dreams of his brothers bowing down to him? Family is so far away in Canaan and he's in Egypt. Probably at this point figures he'll never see his family again. Not the father that he loves, not his blood brother, Benjamin. God uses the shadows in Joseph's life and God uses the dark days of our life to change us and mold us and make us into who he wants us to be. Joseph begins to excel in prison. Just like Potiphar's house had put him in charge of everything, he's a prisoner, but he ends up running the prison. He becomes in charge of everything. In Genesis 39, 23, the narrator writes, Whatever Joseph did, the Lord made to prosper. Whatever Joseph did, the Lord made to prosper. Pharaoh becomes furious with his cupbearer and his chief baker. They went to Joseph's jail, and both the cupbearer and the baker have dreams. And Joseph noticed their crestfallen faces. He inquired, what's wrong? Well, we both had dreams, and we have no idea what our dreams mean, and they're troubling dreams. Well, God will interpret your dreams through me, Joseph said. Well, it goes like this, said the cupbearer. I dreamt that there was a vine in front of me, and the vine made three branches, and it blossomed, and grapes grew. And I began to squeeze the grapes into a cup, and I lifted it up to Pharaoh like I used to when days were good. Oh, Joseph said, that's easy. In three days, the three branches on the vine, Pharaoh will get over his anger with you, and he'll restore you to your important place of being his cupbearer. I only ask you one thing, Joseph said. When you find yourself back in Pharaoh's presence, will you plead my case? I'm a Hebrew, and I did nothing in Potiphar's house. I was a man of honor. I'm an innocent man. I've told you your dream. Just don't forget me. When you go back, well, the baker saw that things had gone well for the cupbearer, and so he was anxious to tell his dream and get get good news. He said, well, my dream goes like this. I have three baskets of white bread on top of my head, and at the top one there are all sorts of pastries, and the birds of the air are eating all the pastries out of the baskets on my head. And Joseph said, stop right there. In three days, the three baskets, well, in three days, Pharaoh will lift your head from your shoulders, and you will be hanged, and the birds of the air will come, and eat your flesh. 
Three days pass and it's Pharaoh's birthday and he throws a big feast for all of his servants and he indeed restores the cupbearer and yet he did hang his chief baker just as Joseph had said. And yet the cupbearer forgot to tell Pharaoh about Joseph, the innocent man in prison who could interpret dreams. Joseph was indeed forgotten and two years passed in his life. Two years. And all of a sudden, Pharaoh has a nightmare. Out of the Nile come these fat cows, these healthy cows, and then, well, there's some skinny cows that come beside the fat cows, and the skinny cows devour the fat cows, and he wakes up sweating, and he realizes, oh, it's okay, it's just a dream, this strange cow dream. And he goes to sleep, and he begins to dream again. This time, it's heads of grain off of a single stalk, and there are seven <coughs> heads of grain that are plump, and then there are seven heads of grain that are puny, and the puny heads of grain devour the plump heads of grain like the skinny cows devoured the fat cows, and he has no idea what it can mean. He awakens the next day, and he calls all the wise men of his kingdom to come, all the magicians to attend to his court, and he asks them, what does it mean, the seven fat cows and the seven skinny cows and the seven plump heads of grain and the seven puny heads? of grain. What does it mean? I must know. And no one in all the land of Egypt can explain. Oh, says a cupbearer. There's this guy I was supposed to remember. His name is Joseph. He's in the prison. I had a dream. He told me what it was going to happen, and it happened. And then the baker had a dream, and he told him what it was going to happen, and it happened. And, well, I can guarantee you this guy named Joseph down in the prison that I forgot, you go and call him up, and he'll tell you what your dream means. So can you imagine how surprised Joseph is when they tell him that Pharaoh, of Egypt wants to see him a prisoner. I've had a dream, Joseph, and no one in all the land can tell me what it means. And I've heard that you can interpret dreams. Oh, it, the power is not within me. It's the Spirit of God. Tell me your dream. I'll tell you through God. What it means. So Pharaoh recants the dreams about the fat cows, the skinny cows, the plump heads of grain, and the scrawny, the puny heads of grain. And Joseph says, well, that's easy. First of all, you have dreamt it twice in two different forms because God wants you to know it's going to happen for sure and it's going to happen soon. Seven cows, seven heads of grain, or seven years. The fat cows mean that for seven years there will be an abundance of all the crops in all the land. And then the seven skinny cows means there's going to be a famine. And it's the same dream again. The, the plump heads of grain, seven years of abundance, an overflowing crop. And then the, the puny heads of grain, seven years will devour. The plump seven years of famine will follow the seven years of abundance. 
this is what you need to do. You need to find a really wise man. And during those seven years of abundance, put aside 20% of the crop. So during the seven years of famine, you'll have more than enough grain to feed your land and the surrounding lambs around here. Go find a wise man and plan now. It's going to happen. God has said. Pharaoh looks to his officials and says, Is there anyone else in whom the Spirit of God dwells like he dwells in Joseph? I have found my man, Joseph. No one is wiser than you. You are that man. You are now second in the land of Egypt. Right then and there, Pharaoh took off his signet ring and handed it over to Joe. In today's terms, he gave him his debit card just handed his debit card right over to him and said, you take over and do whatever needs to be done. He removed those jailbird stripes and he put on a beautiful coat. Remind you of any coats he might have worn before? A gold necklace around his neck. He put him in the second grandest chariot in all of Egypt. And as he rode through the land, the people would shout, Clear the way, it's Joseph. Clear the way, it's Joseph. He had all the clout of Pharaoh himself. Joseph began storing the grain as he had advised Pharaoh. Meanwhile, back in Israel, Jacob's family is going hungry. He looks at Reuben, he looks at Simeon, he looks at Levi, and he says, why are you just standing there? I hear there's plenty of grain in Egypt. Go there and bring us back some. Ten of them went. Jacob held Benjamin back. Benjamin was the only blood brother, full brother of Joseph, and he had lost Joseph, and he wasn't going to lose Benjamin. So he sent 10 of the boys out and kept back Benjamin. Joseph's brothers come before him. He's dressed as the ruler of all the land. And they didn't know who he was, but they bowed to the ground in homage before Joseph, just as he had dreamed about the sheaves and the stars. And of course, as they spoke in Hebrew, they didn't know who he was, nor that he understood their Hebrew tongue, but he did. Joseph recognized them and he said to them, I know who you are. You're spies. You've come to the land. You're trying to find the undefended parts of our city. Oh, no, no, my Lord. We are not spies, they say. We are servants. We're the sons of one father. We have come to buy food. Well, we're, we're honest men. Oh, no, Joseph said. I know a spy when I see one. You're a spy. No, we are 12 brothers and 10 of us are here, and one, the youngest, stay back with the father, and one is no more. Speaking, of course, of Joseph, who stands before them that they think is dead by now. Well, we'll see if your spies are not, Joseph says. 
You shall not leave here until you bring back that youngest brother. He wanted to see Benjamin, his blood brother. We'll know if you're telling the truth. You produce that boy. I'll know your story is true. I'm going to hold hostage one of the brothers until you return. Simeon is bound and cast in prison until they should return with Benjamin. Reuben said, I told you. He's speaking in Hebrew, and Joseph understands. They don't know it's Joseph. I told you years ago, we should have never done any harm against our brother, and you wouldn't listen. And now comes karma as we find ourselves in hardship. Their bags are filled with grain. Joseph instructs his workers to put their cash back in the top of their sacks. And as they travel along, their donkeys get hungry. They open up their sacks to feed their beasts a burden, and they find their cash in the top of their sacks. Oh, no, what is happening to us? This is terrible. We're going to be in so much trouble with that guy. We, it looks like we've stolen the grain. They get back to Jacob, to their father. He thought we were spies. We told him we were the sons of one father. There were 12. One's back at home and one no longer is. Why did you tell him all that? He was asking. He thought we were spies. It was an inquiry. We had to tell the truth. And then our money is back in our sacks. And well, we have to take Benjamin back and then Simeon can go free. And you'll know we're telling the truth. And Jacob says, my son, Joseph is already dead. Simeon is in a jail. There is no way you're going to take Benjamin back to Egypt. Time passes. They run out of their sacks of grain. Finally, Jacob looks at his sons and says, aren't you guys going to go back to Egypt? And get us some more food. We're starving. Father, we've already told you we can only go back if we go back with Benjamin or else he'll think we're spies. Judah said, Dad, I will be personally responsible for your son, Benjamin, and you can blame me for the rest of my life if something happens. I will bear the guilt. We have to have food. We can't get food without Benjamin. Benjamin has to go back. I will look after him myself, says Judah. Jacob reluctantly, but knowing if he doesn't send him, they all perish from starvation. When they get there, oddly enough, they're invited to Joseph's house and they think they are in so much trouble because the money was in their sacks. Oh no, said the workers, God must have given you more money. You see, we have the money with which you paid. Joseph came home, they're brought to the house, they bow down to him again. And Joseph asked, how is your father doing? And then he saw him. He saw his only full-blooded brother, Benjamin, that he hadn't seen since the day he was cast into the pit. And he began to weep. He had to leave the room, go to his own chambers and cried. 
He washed his face and entered back in. This is our youngest brother, they say. We told you we're not spies. May God be gracious to you, my son, says Joseph. And it comes time to serving the meal to the sons of Jacob. They do kind of notice that Benjamin's roast beef cut is five times bigger than, than theirs. He had the meat piled on. And Joseph said this time, give them their sacks full of grain, but put my silver goblet in the sack of the youngest lad. They leave with their sacks of grain they're headed their way. They don't get very far, and Joseph's men ride up upon them. How can you take what I have done good for you? Her governor wants to know, and you have returned evil for good. We've done nothing, say Jacob's sons again. Examine our sacks. Well, the governor's missing his, his silver goblet. One of you has it. They began to rip open the sacks one by one. See, we don't have that goblet. Why would we do such a thing? The governor's been so good to us. They open up the sacks, and finally they get to the tenth. See, we told you so. And finally, the eleventh sack, the sack of Benjamin. As they rip open the seam, the sun catches a glistening gleam of the silver cup, and the sons tear their clothes in grief. Judah and all the other brothers come to Joseph's house while he's still there. They fall on the ground. What have you done, said Joseph? The rest of you may go free, but the one in whom the goblet was found will be my slave for the rest of his life. Judah says, oh no, that will kill his father. I guaranteed his safe return. You trade me, I will be your slave for the rest of my days. You cannot have that lad. It cannot happen. Our father loves him. It will kill our father if Benjamin does not return. How can I face my father if I do not return with his son? I think it was all the talk about breaking Jacob's heart. Or maybe it was a fact that Judah had grown enough that he was willing to sacrifice himself for his brother. But somewhere in there, Joseph's heart changes. He begins to weep. The Bible says that he wept so loudly that the cry was heard throughout the land of Egypt. The brothers are stunned, silent. And then 45, 4, there in your Bible, Joseph says, come closer to me. And the narrator writes, they came closer to him. Perhaps during these hard days of COVID-19, family relationships can be tough and and maybe you realize that some things are more important than the petty fights you've had in the past. And maybe you're called today to your brother or your sister or your husband or your wife or your father or your mother. 
Maybe your word is, come, come closer to me. And they came closer. I am Joseph, your brother. But, but don't be angry with yourselves. What you intended for evil, God used for good. There's been two years of famine, and there's five more coming, and God sent me right here. You sold me into slavery that God could have me here, that I could save our people, God's people, from the famine by giving grain from Egypt. And Joseph fell on Benjamin's neck, and he wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck, Genesis says. Can you imagine the day in the life of Jacob when the boys go back and say, your son Joseph, whom you've mourned for so many years, Dad, I don't have to tell you this, he's alive. Not only is he alive, he's the governor of Egypt. God saw something in Joseph, the braggadocious boy that no one else could see. They send the caravan from Egypt. Jacob wouldn't believe what they said until the wagon showed up. They send the wagons. They pack up Jacob, his household, and all of his sons, and they go to live in the land of Egypt. Perhaps Joseph realized that God uses the dark days of our life. God uses the times when we lose our coat. God uses the pit and the prison. God uses the shadows of our life to shape us. What you did, you meant evil. But God used it for good. I forgive you. God is sovereign. God even uses the mess-ups of our life for his kingdom. Come closer, Joseph says. Stand up. Stop bowing. Embrace me. I am your brother. From braggish Docious brat, the gracious governor. It was a long journey, but the story ends with forgiveness and grace. That's how Joseph's story ends. Will you let yours end that way too in your family? Let us pray. Oh God, we know that you're sovereign. I pray that you would bring grace to our families just as you brought grace to Jacob's family. May we see that those who've truly wronged us, that somehow you will take those messes and make them good. And may some who said, I will never speak to you again or I will never forgive you, may their hearts melt during this pit time, this prison time. And may we be gracious to each other 
as you are gracious to us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.